0: This is the U Show podcast. Joe Check puts it in front. He's got McDonald. He scores. Unbelievable. Jacob
1: McDonald. His first NHL game. His first NHL goal. First NHL shot.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into the U Show podcast. I'm Chris Treft. I'm along with Ben Gisselson of the Des Moines Buccaneers. And another special treat for you guys today Jacob McDonald is our guest. He is a defenseman slash forward for the Colorado Eagles and Colorado Avalanche organization. An incredible story this guy has. He started his pro career in a straight ECHL deal, you know, making 500 or so bucks a, a week for the Elmira Jackals, a team that isn't even around anymore in Elmira, New York, in one of the older barns in the league, and then just made the climb up and made his NHL debut with the Florida Panthers. What you have to go through to be a, an ECHL contracted guy and work your way up to playing in the NHL is a tough task. It really is because there's a lot of guys that are a- NHL contracted guys or AHL contracted guys that just get sent down to the coast and then work their way up. But to be actually on contract in the ECHL, and I saw him play in Omira and with the Toledo Walleye the next year, and I was thinking there's no way this guy's an ECHL player, and he proved me right when he made the NHL. A few seasons later but he's a USHL guy he's a late bloomer but he's really coming to his own and now he has a great future with the Colorado Eagles and Colorado Avalanche. Chris the deck is stacked against you if you
1: are an ECHL contracted skater without an NHL deal or any NHL affiliation that's exactly where Jacob McDonald was coming out of college and you and I talked Chris off air about you'll see ECHL goalies make the rise. That, that's not unprecedented. And not that it's unprecedented to see players make the rise, but it's very rare. You don't see it very often because, like you mentioned, if you don't have that NHL logo by your name somewhere, you're have, you have to prove time and time again that you can play at the next level, where if you have that logo next to you, you have to prove that you can't. And it's a lot easier to prove that you, that you can't than you can. Um, so I look at McDonald as a story of perseverance, as a guy who probably just showed up to the arena every day and said, what can I do to be better today? And he's still doing that. He's gotten his crack at the NHL, but you and I both are in agreement that we think he's going to get a more sustained crack here in the near future. And it was a terrific interview. He had a, a really good time with us. We had an even better time with him so I'm looking forward to hitting play on this one and letting the fans have a, have a bite out of this.
0: For sure. And it, it is frustrating because I spent four seasons in Atlanta on the ECHL and to see some of these guys that you know don't belong there, that belong at the higher levels, but they started on ECHL contracts and what they have to go through against guys who they're better than that are on NHL deals or AHL guys who you know, were just drafted by the team and then they bury them in the ECHL. And those guys get a chance to get called up because they're already paying them. I mean, it's, it's frustrating to see good people that deserve a shot and then just never get it. But he battled through all of that to, to, for what he did. I mean, is very admirable. So uh, hats off to him, and let's hear it from the man himself. Colorado Eagles defenseman Jacob McDonald. Joining us now on the U Show podcast is a defenseman in the Colorado Avalanche organization, mostly with the Colorado Eagles this past season. Jacob McDonald. Jacob how are we doing today sir? I'm doing well Chris thank you for having me on here I appreciate it. Yeah no problem and so obviously we ask the same question to everybody and you're gonna get that the same one it's a crazy time right now We you know you stepped on the ice for the first time yesterday but yep. what's it been like during this weird off season whatever you want to call it what have you been up to hockey and you know trying to stay in shape but besides that too what have been your guilty pleasures?
2: Um, fortunately I've been able to golf a lot. So that's kind of been keeping me busy. Um, and then at the start of this too, my wife and I actually adopted a dog like three days into quarantine. So he's a year old now and it's been an absolute blast. And I've always wanted a dog for myself. My family had him growing up, but you know, this having a dog with, with my wife and, and you know having him here has just been incredible so it, it's been a lot of fun with him being able to get on the golf course as well those are the two things that they've passed a lot of time to say the least so
0: you can't think of a better time to adopt a dog when you have yeah. time in the world to train it get to know it and that was probably pretty fun
2: It was exactly you know and that was kind of the, you know the main factor behind the decision to get it in the first place is you know we don't know how long this is going to go obviously it's been you know, almost three months now, but, you know, we're going to have at least a few weeks off here. This is a perfect time for us to get a dog. We've always talked about getting one, so uh, it just kind of worked out well that way.
0: So we're going to go back to the start. Born and raised in Portland, Oregon, that's when you decided you fell in love with hockey, and then eventually you made the move to Michigan, and you said Mm -hmm. that was a hockey-based decision. So growing up in Portland, when did you realize, like, man, I can maybe make this into a career and then move into Michigan? What was that process like? Because it was probably – Pretty crazy for a teenager or a preteen.
2: Yeah, no, I I always planned on it becoming a career. Whether or not uh, I don't know if there was a realization period of like, oh, I can actually do this. I would say that came a lot later. <laughs> but uh, I always wanted that for myself. So, so I guess growing up in Portland, you know, I got invited to go play on select teams up in Canada and stuff during the springtime. So, you know, that was when I, you know, my dad and I both realized like I can you know, I can play with the best players because, you know, they're the Canadians, right? That's like (laughs) a kid growing up, you want to be as good as the Canadians. And, and, you know, they've kind of had that, uh, you know, reputation, I I guess you could say. So, you know, I I was playing in Canada as a kid. And then, you know, we decided, hey, let's – I mean, Michigan's a great spot. You know, it's it's hockey town, right? So, uh, you know, that was kind of – I would say – it was a hockey based decision, but it, it was you know the thing that really propelled my career to be able to advance the way that you know I wanted it to.
0: so All right, so you, you go and you join the Compuware Organization, which is obviously one of the many great organizations in the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. Is, is that where you first got your first glimpse at the USHL? Obviously, Portland up there is a WHL territory, or even you know the Alberta Leagues, British Columbia Leagues. But in terms yep. of junior hockey, moving to the Midwest, is that is that when you first realized the USHL and college hockey were an option?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I got into hockey originally by going to a Winterhawks game, and so that was kind of the first taste of it. And and you know, I went to the rink, and that was all I ever wanted to do. So I, I had no idea about. I knew college hockey was a thing. I didn't know how you get there at all. So you know, when you move to Michigan, you have options and you have the OHL and you have the USHL are the two main ones. So uh, my family has always stressed that college education is really important. So for me, it was kind of an easy decision. You know, I, I was drafted by Guelph in the OHL. And then after that, I, I went to their camp for a day or two, you're only allowed to go there if you want to keep your college eligibility for like a day. So I went there for a day, it was great. But it wasn't like, wow, this is what I want to do. So I, I, I knew that the college education was you know, the right way for me to go. So then I went into a training camp with Fargo um, going into my 16 year, didn't make the team. And then around Christmas time, I ended up making it to Waterloo. So it was, uh, it was a ton of fun there. I had a blast. But moving to Michigan was definitely the introduction to the USHL and to college hockey pretty much as well.
1: So you went Portland, Oregon, to Detroit, Michigan, to Waterloo, Iowa. Mm -hmm. I bring this up often because I'm someone who grew up in the Minnesota area, came down to Des Moines, Iowa for my first real job in my profession. And -hmm. what I knew of Iowa was cornfields. And what I've (laughs) learned about Iowa is there's a lot more than that here. Uh, In Des Moines is a great city. Waterloo, where I've been to many times, is a wonderful city. What were your expectations of the state of Iowa and the city of Waterloo once you had decided as a family that Jacob McDonald was going to play his junior hockey there?
2: So, my expectation was cornfields. That's a pretty good description. (laughs) It's universal, yeah. (laughs) That's kind of what you think of. Um, That's the first thing that pops into your head, right? But I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, What actually ended up happening is they had a game, I want to say, the 27th of December. And I had went and tried out, like, early December. They said, yeah, we want to bring you up uh, in a couple weeks. So we come back after Christmas break. What ended up happening is I drove to Waterloo by myself from Michigan when I was 16 on Christmas morning. So I, I had Christmas the day before with my family and drove on the 25th to Waterloo and stayed at my billets from then on out. And, uh, you know, that just – that whole process was – you become an adult pretty quickly, I would say, but it's a, it's an absolute blast and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. So I had a great time doing that and um, I'm obviously super thankful for Waterloo and that organization and PK bringing me in. So
1: You bring up PK and he was obviously on our list of people to get to because when you talk about the Waterloo Blackhawks, the single most name that is synonymous with that organization is PK O'Hanley. Depending on who you talk to, everyone would call him legendary. Some might call him infamous if they've coached or played (laughs) against him. Um, But he is a larger-than-life character in this league, the all-time winningest coach in the history of the league. Talk about him. When you think of P.K. O'Hanley, what are the first two or three stories or maybe the first story that comes to mind when you think of (laughs) P.K.?
2: There's a lot. There's a lot of bag bag skates. There's a lot of – a lot of just you know him yelling or getting on the players but it's all it all comes from a place of love you know he he loves the game he loves his players and you know he wants us all to get better and make it to the next level and obviously he has a track record unlike anybody else and you know he advances the players to the next level and and uh, you know he was able to do that with me and uh i would definitely put him in the legend status for sure so
1: when you think about your time in Waterloo, where do you think are the biggest areas that PK had an impact on you? Because I've spoken with other players that I know that have played for him, uh, a couple that actually you played with, Andrew Prockno, T- Tyson Fulton, that have both talked about his ability to challenge players, but to challenge them in a very hard way, a very difficult way, but it's fair. Would you agree with that?
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, when I said that you become an adult very fast, part of it is, you know, leaving your family and going to stay in a foreign place that you've never been before. It's Everything's new to you. But along with that comes a challenge of, you know, PK and the, the rest of the staff, tr- you know, trying to get you to become a better player. And he does that in a very direct way, which I respond very well to. A lot of people, Do or don't. A lot of people don't, but you know he's very hard on guys, which is what a lot of people and a lot of kids, you know, sixteen to nineteen, you know, they need that. So he's obviously a legend for a reason, and and his he might be hard on you, but it's like I said, it comes from a good spot, and his track record speaks for the for itself, right? So
1: that building, Young Arena, and Des Moines fans that tune into this podcast may i may get some hate mail or some hate dms about this but it it, it is it, it i think it is on par with with our building Buckingham arena as my favorite building to go to in the league the fans there are just tremendous the ice surface is, is large which means with that olympic sheet the game is always fast there and yeah. it's just a fabulous place to it, it's the it's the quintessential junior hockey building to me. Talk about that building and talk about those fans and what it was like for you to be there for that season and a half that you had with the Blackhawks and to play in front of such a tremendous fan base
2: um The first word that comes to mind is deafening when you <laughs> <laughs> switch from uh you know you're playing at a youth rink to. To that fan base, with you know, I think it's around four thousand people, and they're every one of them has at least one cowbell, if not two or three or four, and uh, it's just it's insane, is what it is, and it's an absolute blast. And that was kind of, I would say, for me, one of the coolest experiences in my life to that point was being able to go and play my first game at Young Arena with the fans being the way that, that they are. It's just absolutely crazy. It was unlike anything I had ever experienced up to that point. So uh, the only word I can think of is fun. It was an absolute awesome time from start to finish for the year and a year and a half that I had there. It was incredible. So, you know, hands down my favorite place to play in the USHL, obviously (laughs) being my home ring, but, uh, but in my opinion, second to none. So
1: Junior hockey players often bring up movie theaters or bowling alleys, a lot of restaurants where they'll go to hang out at when you're away from hockey, away from working out. What were the places in Waterloo that when you were there, the Blackhawks were hanging out at aside from billet houses? Cause I know that's a lot of time spent as well at specific yeah. billet houses.
2: Yeah. No, the billet houses was obviously the most time. Uh, my roommate from there, I still talk to almost every day. So I would say, other than the billet houses, we bowled a lot. I, I'm not a huge movie guy personally, but I know some guys do spend a lot of time there. But for me and and my roommate and a couple of other of us, we bowled regularly, and that was that was the most fun because my dad actually bowled a little bit professionally um, in some some tournaments and stuff. So, you know, for me, that was something cool to do to kind of connect with him when he came into town too. So. I had a blast bowling. That was, that was my biggest go-to. I wasn't that big into golf yet at the time, but um, when it did get warmer towards the spring months, I would try to golf a little bit as well. But for the most part, it was, it was bowling during the winter months.
1: When you were at your bowling peak, what was your average score? Do you think? And did you ever take on your father and take down the Titan of bowling as he seems to be?
2: Um, I he doesn't. He's getting old. I feel bad saying it, but no, I, I, I would. I'll beat him probably fifty percent of the time now, because um, he doesn't bowl anymore at like, yeah. at all. So, um, it's probably fifty fifty for us. But when I was at my peak, I was I was probably bowling between one sixty and one seventy. Uh, one yeah, one sixty five, one oh, seventy five regularly, and then um, I think I. Hit my best in Waterloo. Actually, I hit 225. Was my best game, but no uh, kidding. Yeah, so well, wasn't quite tax. as good as as he was. He had, he has a 300 under his belt. So I will, uh, I'll get there someday.
0: <laughs> Are you better golfer or bowler?
2: Bowler. <laughs> I, I I like it a lot. I'm probably better at it. I, I do enjoy golf though. Uh, I'm probably, I'm a bogey golfer though. So I, I'm, I'm working on it, but not
1: very, I wish I could be, I (laughs) wish I could be a bogey golfer, Jacob. So, uh, I'm I'm going
2: to get away for that. It's it's tough though. Like a lot of hockey guys, right. They, they, a lot of them golf a lot. So yeah, I go out. Um, like I said, I was, I've been fortunate enough to golf, um, up, in Fort Collins where the Eagles are at um, pretty regularly since the quarantine has has started. So I go out with like three or four of the guys that stayed around town and I just get waxed every time, but it's, it's fun. So (laughs) I'm just having a good time and that's, that's what matters. So
0: it's the worst they're, they're putting and you're trying to find your ball.
2: Yeah. I'm stuck on the side, like trying to pull my ball out of a river and they're like two putting from 55 feet. And I'm just like, okay. Well, all right you guys in the next hole
0: well speaking of of teammates in terms of waterloo if you really look at that that second season of yours your full season Mm -hmm. guys didn't do great didn't do bad snuck into the playoffs you know just under 500 but if you look at that roster when I was studying up and and I saw it I recognized so many names of guys that went on to play pro hockey I mean Alex Guptill had a amazing career at Michigan and then went on to have a great pro career that's still going on Henestroza was 10th yep. on the team in scoring now he's in the NHL both your yep. goaltenders were great CJ Mott is an American League guy so I mean why do you think that you guys I hate to use the word struggled because it was still a good year but you guys weren't at the top of the standings in the USHL but you seem to have more professional hockey players than most teams that I've seen
2: yeah no I, I've kind of thought about that from time to time as well you, you know Vinny obviously probably being the most successful from that team. Um, Ian McCoshion as well, who I would say I, I played with him last year in Springfield and the fact that that guy's not in the NHL is just shocking to me. But, you know, there's a lot of guys on that team that played a lot of years pro. And, you know, guys peak at different times. That was certainly not my peak. Like I've I've gotten significantly better um relative since then so it's just guys peak at different times and when you you know you see guys that come in and you know they might have been 10th in the league or or sorry 10th on the team in scoring like Vinny for example but you know he's in the NHL now it's just you know guys peak at different times he was also a little bit younger at the time too and McCaution was an underage kid so it's just it's just for me it's like guys peak at different times and and we were relatively young as well so it's just kind of a mix of that you know you can never really you know I guess predict how a team is going to be based on how you know the players are right
1: it's a good thing that you didn't peak when you were in the USHL that's not the goal of anybody when they go to the USHL or at least it shouldn't be it's a developmental league at its core and you like a lot of your teammates you just mentioned continued to grow but where do you feel you brought up the maturity aspect of you turning into a man while you were there. But aside from that, what are some of the other areas that you felt you grew the most when you were in Waterloo?
2: I think a big part of that was work ethic. You know, as a kid playing youth hockey, working out, it's a little bit of a thing now. It shouldn't be at all. But <laughs> it, it. in my opinion, I, th- I think that, you know, we started working out a little bit just – working on form more than, like, lifting heavy weights, you know, so, kind of the work habits off the ice that translate to on the ice, I think that was a big part of it, and, you know, just kind of the structure of how, I would say that how the organization was run, and how guys conduct themselves, even the older guys who aren't in high school anymore, just how everybody conducts themselves, that's kind of, like, the biggest, like, wake-up call, like, you got to, you know, kind of grow up, conduct yourself accordingly. You can't be a kid anymore. So that's kind of, I would just say the the most, like, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for. It's the most obvious, like telltale sign. Like you need to grow up. Like this is how you conduct yourself. You're not a kid anymore.
1: For the Blackhawk fans that will listen to this, and there will be many, what does Jacob McDonald have to say to them at this time? I'm sure it's stay safe, but I'm sure there's more to that message as well.
2: It's stay safe, but thank you. Um, you guys were my introduction to, you know, the next level of hockey. And I'm super thankful for everybody who ever, you know, came there and had a cowbell or two or three or four. Um, you know, those those people were awesome. And, and they made the experience in Waterloo incredible. So I, I'm just super thankful for anyone who ever came out and rang a cowbell. So I I appreciate it.
1: Up next, the Cornell Big Red, an opportunity to play Division I college hockey, but also to get a fabulous education at an Ivy League school. Mm -hmm. Was Ivy League always in your sights or was it just you felt like this was the perfect combination of both hockey and academics? Talk to us about that process and why the Big Red became the school for Jacob McDonald.
2: So, during the process, you have hopefully a few different colleges coming to talk to you, right? So for me, I had three: it was Fair State, Yale, and Cornell. And for me, Cornell was the best combination of hockey and athletics. Yale is the peak of athletics. Fair State has a lot of guys go pro, and Cornell was kind of in that mix of both for me. So they had a lot of you know pro players. But at the same time, you have the Ivy League education as well. So for me, that was kind of the best choice. Um, Like you said, the combination of hockey and athletics. But the other deciding factor is I went to a game at Cornell. And I saw a Saturday night game against Colgate. They came back, scored with a minute left. And Greg Miller had a slap shot from the blue line, won the game in overtime. And that was like the loudest thing I'd ever heard. No offense to fans at Young Arena, but I was like, wow, (laughs) that was incredible. So I flew home Sunday and committed Monday morning. Like it was a no-brainer. So it was a very similar atmosphere with the low roof, the crazy fans, the student section was bananas. So that was a no-brainer for me.
1: Looking at Waterloo, looking at your pro career, you've been a guy that's contributed from the back end successfully. Cornell, not quite the same story, looking at the numbers there. Does not by any means mean that it was a failure or a lack of success for you while you were there, but what do you think Cornell taught you about the game of hockey from a defensive standpoint that helped lead you to the success you've had in your pro career?
2: I think that, you know, Cornell's widely known as a highly defensive system and, you know, they hold true by that. So Cornell wins games, one nothing. I think that, My senior year, we might have scored 60 goals the whole year, like the entire season, we scored 60 goals. So, and we had a winning record, if I remember correctly, where we were right around 500. But the point being, you don't score a lot there. So the the points in terms of my production, you don't see any comparison because you play 68 games. I believe it's 68 or it might've been 64 at the time in the USHL. And then in pro you play 72 in the Co, 76 in the American league and 82 in the NHL. You have more games than even goals are scored in college. So the points aren't even, it's not even really a comparison in my opinion, but in terms of what they taught me, I think defensively, you know, like I said, they're a defensive system and they taught me a lot about how to, you know, position myself and, You know, the importance of getting a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, because when you're 18, I went as a true freshman, you're competing against 23, 24, 25 year olds. So for me, you got to get bigger, get stronger. And, you know, that work ethic, work ethic, excuse me, to get there, you know, was one of the biggest things that I took away
0: from Cornell. So your time is done at Cornell. Now you move to pro hockey. Mm hmm most guys coming out of college it's a whirlwind you don't know what level you're going to be interested or have interest in you you end up signing in nearby Elmira with the Elmira Jackals and mm-hmm. ECHL and that's where you started your career you started in the ECHL and it was an absolute battle and mm-hmm. not many times do you see guys who come out of college and sign in the ECHL as opposed to signing NHL contracts, HL contracts, getting sent to the ECHL, climb and eventually make the NHL like you did. Like ECHL doesn't stand for anything, but I've heard many guys call it easy come hard to leave. Right. But <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't the case for you. You went to Toledo, which is obviously the top notch in the league. Yeah. You battled in the American league and you didn't you didn't last there long. You you went to Florida after, you know, your first experience in the, in the American league shortly thereafter. So, how do you think you were able to do that when so many guys have tried and failed?
2: Um, I would say part of that has to do with the takeaway from Cornell was the work ethic part of it. Right. I, I think that there's a lot of times you see somebody who comes out of college, you sign an entry level deal. They make all this money for, you know, three years, whatever it might be. And then they don't get re-signed. And they're like, Oh no, what am I going to do? And then they have to sign a coast deal and they're ending up making 500 bucks a week. It's a totally different thing you know, world and you get down on yourself for that. Right. That's very easy to do. And nobody's at fault for that. It's just a very difficult transition. But for me, I made 480 bucks a week for my first three weeks there after I signed and uh, At the end of my senior year, and I was like, this is awesome. I'm rich. Like I can do it so I can play pro hockey. Like now I need to get better. So I spent that first full year in the coast and all the credit in the world to Jamie Russell he gave me every opportunity Uh, he's the head coach there in Elmira and he gave me every opportunity, you know, and I flourished, I did very well and I'm very fortunate to have had Jamie as a coach. And so for me, that obviously led to the Toledo thing, but you know, you keep getting better. And I, I got a call up at the end of that season, that first year in Elmira to Springfield where I only played the one game at the very end of the season it's like, wow, I did pretty well. I can handle myself here. So next year, I'm going to try to get to that level. And that's, I worked and I worked and I worked. And you take that work work ethic from Cornell and you apply it and you get better and better and better. And that's just kind of the mentality that I've had. And even now to this day, like I, I just try to apply that and, you know, continue to become the best hockey player I can be. So that's kind of been my mentality since the start. And, you know, hopefully it just continues on that path. That's all.
0: Having worked in the ECHL the last few years, I hear a lot of guys say that they just are a pro player. They're a pro style player. I've seen guys like Tanner Pond who were um, USHL guys and didn't do well in college and then went to the Mm -hmm. coast and were dominant. And then all of a sudden they're in the American League, no problem. Would you consider yourself a pro style player? Because I remember I was with Atlanta in the coast and I remember seeing you and going, this guy does not belong at this level. I mean, you were just dominating the game out there. But that—would you consider yourself? You're just a pro-style player.
2: Um, to an extent, yeah, for sure. I I would consider my game a two-way defenseman who plays both ends of the puck. But you know, offensively, uh, I would say that I've done very well, and I worked very hard at that. So that's kind of you know, at the pro level, you don't have guys with face masks sliding three at a time in front of you to block shots like you do in college. And that's another part of why you don't see the point transitions from college to pro a lot of the time that, you know, especially for defensemen that, you know, are offensively gifted. You don't see, you know, big points in college for a reason. You have five guys trying to block the puck in front of you, in front of the goalie. And, you know, it just, it doesn't happen for a lot of guys. So, but, you know, Tanner Pond is is a good example. You know, somebody who can come in and, you know, I think that their style of play, I've played against him a few times, and he, he does have a good pro style of play. So it's just like there's a lot of guys like that, and I, I would consider myself in that group as well. But it's just, you know, trying to adapt your game to the, the level that you're at. So I think I've been fortunate to be able to do that relatively well. So
0: We talked about adapting, and that's something you did this year. Colorado, the Avalanche were absolutely riddled with injuries. You're a defenseman. All of a sudden, you were asked to play forward. You did it, and you had a lot of success. When was the last time you played forward before this season, and how was it going from defense to forward in the American Hockey League? You're not going from defense to forward in uh, you know summer pickup hockey.
2: Huh? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the last time I did play forward was when I tried out for CompuWare when I was 12. And I played the first little bit, maybe the first month or so, at CompuWare as a forward. Same thing happened. A couple D got hurt. We only had four D. So I went back, I was the fifth D and my first game at defense with Compu where I had five goals. I took the puck from behind the net, just went end to end and scored. And I was like, this is awesome. I get to build up speed. I get to go score. This is great. So I stuck with defense. And um, so that was the last time I played forward. When I switched this year, um, knowing that that was kind of my roots in hockey, it took, a few games at least at least three or four or five games to kind of get used to that you know get the puck from the defenseman on the half wall and try to chip it past a D man that's coming down the wall to kill you that's normally my job and I love that part of my job but being on the other end of that it's a lot different so for me it was just kind of getting used to the timing more so and the positioning the defensive zone is a little bit easier but for me having the puck in the offensive zone as a forward like where do i go right now like what do i do just the very first game i played i i got stopped in the corner and i just like i wasn't moving my feet and i get back to the bench and my coach is yelling at me like move your feet like what do you do and i'm like i don't know where to go <laughs> <laughs> but but it after a couple three games like that lesson kicked in pretty quick cuz you're going to get pummeled if you just stand not moving so uh the first three or four games I was kind of getting the feel for it but after that it it kind of comes natural as a hockey player I think a little bit to you know revert back to what I had done you know growing up so after the first I would say at least three or four or five games um, it got a lot easier for sure.
1: Jacob everybody wants to have that gravy train ride to the NHL where they're a first round pick and they're getting the signing bonus they're joining the, the, the team in the NHL right out of the gates after college or junior or whatever it is. You're mm-hmm. a testament to the fact that that's a pretty rare scenario, and, and you are a testament to the fact that you've taken what you've been given and you've made the most out of it, it seems, at every level. What kind of advice would you give to the next generation of players that are coming to the USHL that want to be those top-round draft picks but likely aren't going to be but can still achieve their goals despite of that?
2: The first thing is I, you just don't get down on yourself. You, you see the guys that are the first-round picks. They're obviously incredibly talented, and, and you see guys that are first-round picks that also don't make too much of themselves. And, and the way, where you're at at age 18 isn't going to be where you're at, at at age 19 even or 21 or 25 or 28. Like It doesn't matter all that much and in the long run as long as you work hard there's really there's no limit to how good you can be and everybody's trajectory is different so guys peak in the USHL and it happens and they get drafted high and then like I said that's their peak so they're on their way back down It just that happens but as long as you work hard I, I would say there's really no limit to where you can go at all.
0: How crazy of a ride was it just to think about, do you ever sit back and look that I was once playing in Elmira, New York in a very tiny building. And then all of a sudden you're playing in the NHL and you're looking around going, I started in Elmira, New York, and now I'm playing for the Panthers. Like how, did you have that moment? Was that, do you ever reflect back on that and realize like what an accomplishment that was?
2: There was, I would say two moments Uh, where i reflected on i was like wow the first one being the national anthem before the game in tampa bay the first game that i played and i was like looking up and the national anthem finished and you know they have the lightning actually going off inside the building and i was like where am i right now (laughs) this (laughs) this is crazy but the the second one kind of happened later on and it's like that first game was awesome even the second game was great um obviously that's been my only experience so far but you have that realization like you can play there you can score there you can get back to that level if you keep working hard so I would say that second moment kind of came when you're like yeah I, I played in Elmire I made 480 bucks a week like awesome but now I can get to the next level now I'm here now I know I can get to the next level so that that's kind of like where I would say that Second moment happens is like every once in a while, I'm, say I'm on the ice or I'm working out or something, like thinking about playing in the NHL, and that's where that moment always happens. From like, I played in the coast, I know I can do this.
0: Well, all right, we really appreciate your time. We, we thank you a ton for this. It was uh, great to talk to you. And you know, sometimes we talk to the, the first round guys or guys that are consistent in the NHL, but they might not have had a great of story as yours of perseverance, of hard work to get to where you are battling through all the stuff you've had to go through so we really appreciate your time and best of luck we hope to see you in the NHL really soon
2: thanks Chris thanks Ben I I really appreciate you guys having me on thank you
0: another big thanks to Jacob McDonald for joining us and like we said we told you how good of an interview it was he's a charismatic guy and he's a very humble guy you have to be to go through all he went through his stories about Elmira are just hilarious and I've heard some of those stories uh, I've heard worst ones I've now I've learned some new ones about it that their last couple of years the Elmira Jackals were a uh, you could write a book about them it was it was crazy so it, for him to be a part of that and then you know make the rise to the NHL you heard him say it like he went from riding uh whatever that bus they had was to playing in front of 20,000 people in Tampa that's, that's just remarkable
1: and Jacob's story, as he'll tell you, is by no means done yet. He has achieved all he has achieved, and what that is, is is nothing short of just spectacular. But now that he's gotten to where he's gotten to, he's clearly the type of person and player where he's not looking back and patting himself on the back saying, boy, you know, I'm here. I'm an AHL all-star. I was an ECHL guy for, for a little bit, and boy, you know, I've made it. This guy has his sights set on greater things than what he's already done, which is great what he's already done so I'm looking forward to seeing the progression of his game and how much more comfortable he's gotten at the AHL level over the past several seasons and and his assault on the NHL and being a guy that's going to be counted upon to play at the highest of levels in some big situations here sooner than later and I wouldn't expect to see no different from Jacob McDonald soon
0: all right well Ben thanks again for everything and Brent as always, behind the scenes, thanks, uh, thanks for all the hard work you do setting all this stuff up. We pretty much just talk to the guys, and Brent gets all the, the dirty work done beforehand. And also, always, another big thank you, to Jacob McDonald. I'm Chris Trek, and this was the U Show Podcast. This is the U Show Podcast.